0: Hello, and welcome to episode five of God and Narcissism. Um, Last episode, we talked about being triggered in church or during a sermon. And so this week, we're going to be going over coping skills or how we deal with being triggered in the moment and during our time at church. So I guess we can open up the floor um, with Mia and Sam and myself of how do we cope or deal when we are triggered either during a sermon or during church
1: I I mean it changes for me sometimes I totally forget my coping skills
2: that happens to me too
1: Yeah, I would say um, for different things like let's say if I'm reading a bible verse that's throwing me off or someone's using it out of context um, phrases like die to self things like that are going on. I usually have about five sources written down somewhere of people I trust who know a lot about the Bible or spirituality and I will take that verse um and I will email them. So um I might have professors from like seminary. I'll have friends, I'll have family members and I'll usually just go call them and ask them because I don't trust my head to come to the right conclusion because I don't trust myself. So I'll be like, maybe I'm just telling myself what I want to hear. But if other people that I trust are saying it, it helps me out. And so I would encourage listeners too. like, there are some people at churches or even at seminaries that would actually welcome your emails, even if you've never gone and you don't know them. They're kind of there for that. So having people that you can just email and be like, what the heck, man? You know can really help you out and I try now I'm trying now to write down their answers so <laughs> that I don't ask the same question like 50 times
2: mm-hmm. yeah I think that's a good one just reaching out to people and asking sometimes um I don't like doing that because <laughs> <laughs> I struggle with just talking to people sometimes but one thing that a counselor told me to try was to like she would kind of do some somatic body work and she taught me to like put my hand over my heart when I start feeling really anxious and upset in the service and it's and kind of imagine it like you're hugging yourself and it doesn't like you can do it so that it doesn't look weird almost like you're rubbing your shoulder or something and then I just try to focus in on my breath and remind myself that I'm safe in the present moment. And then just feeling my hand kind of, like, grounds me a little bit to where I am. And sometimes I have to do that, like, a lot of times in a service because just doing it for a few seconds may help a little bit, but not very much, especially if there are a bunch of triggers. But I found that that helps at least for the more mild triggers for me. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think similar to that, I notice it first in my body. And so I'll usually go to the bathroom. So I'll just get up and go to the bathroom and, um, kind of like sit with the feelings and maybe like visualize, um, like the Lord holding me or saying something that is helpful. Um, and then other times I just need to like get up and move my body for like regulation. Um, where that's when, like, I notice I'll like be shifting in my seat a lot or like crossing and uncrossing my legs. Um, and so I might just go stand in the back because I need to move my body. Um, and then I think the biggest thing that helps is I visualize like the Bible, like next to the person preaching and I'm like, okay, he's speaking out of the Bible, but this isn't necessarily Bible. Like he's also a person. And so, kind of like being able to separate, okay, this message is from blah, blah, right now. And then I can go back and look at, engage with those Bible verses with God and myself, and then like compare. Um, exactly. So, like, I don't have to take this as this is what the Bible's saying because it's coming through a person.
1: I think if I'm in a service and I'm triggered, because, you know, you get that panic of like, I kind of want to stay and figure this out, but I kind of want to leave and I don't want anyone to see what I'm going through. Um, I'm a big proponent of like parts work. So um, all three of us, I think we do something that's called ego therapy, which is basically talking about the parts of a person. And I won't really get into all that what that means. But I think everyone understands that we we all have different parts of ourselves. You're a different person with your husband than you are with your friends and you are at church. And it's not a lack of authenticity. It's just we are different in different places. And sometimes trauma makes our parts a little more distinct. And so this is kind of where we get into emotional flashback realm, things like that. So if I'm in a service, sometimes I check inside and I ask it's called unblending. I try not to let the symptoms be a representation of this is all of me, and I go, there's a part of me that's feeling this right now. And as soon as I do that, now there's kind of two of me. There's the me who's observing and the me that's feeling the symptoms, and they can talk to each other. And I can say, hey, what's going on? Can you tell me um, what you heard? And I'll see if I can reason with you or tell me what you need. Do I need to go and comfort you? Do I need to go talk to someone? And then I usually end up doing something where I'm trying to tell them the differences between now and what happened in my childhood. Mm -hmm. This person is not so-and-so. Here's the differences between them and them. Or when so-and-so said this, this is what they were trying to do. What is this person trying to do? Trying to help them see the difference between the past and the present can sometimes help them calm down or pointing out my choices and options. Like, yeah, as a child, you couldn't do anything about this. You can't fight these people, you can't run away, you can't really reason. But I'm an adult, so if someone here bothers me, I can do something about it, or I can get up and leave if I want. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that will just naturally calm me down a little bit.
2: When, When you're triggered in church, what tends, like, how do you know? How do you both know in your body that, oh, it's happening, I'm getting triggered, so that you know, like, when to use? the coping skills
0: yeah I feel that in my body of like it feels like my whole body is having a heartbeat (laughs) if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so like the heartbeat is like in my head and my ears like it's just really large um or I feel this just like energy where I'm like uncrossing crossing my legs shifting in my chair like I can't be still um and then I often hear the phrase, like, you need to, like, get out, get out, get out. You're stuck. You need to leave right now is usually, like, the thought process that I have where I'm like, okay, I need to address this. Um, so, yeah, those are, like, the main two that I notice mostly.
1: I get kind of, like, a, a shame attack. I start to doubt myself, and I feel a sense of panic so my heart will start to race, my breathing might get really shallow, or it might get quicker, and I usually just stare fixedly because my mind's trying to crank something out. And I notice that I almost kind of feel a sense of being attacked, like I want to hide or recede or curl up. Um, and sometimes like, I I usually get a kind of like, um, it feels like my inner voice becomes more like a whine. Um. And I start to, uh, I think, to me, I think from the outside I might look a little wild-eyed. You know, I'm, my eyes are, are just like large and I'm, I'm going into a black hole is what it feels like. Um, and usually my thoughts will get to a place where I'm trying to understand, but they're being defeated by other thoughts about how maybe I'm wrong and maybe it's the whole can't trust myself thing. And so um, depending on how safe I feel, sometimes uh, I might go into what we call the sympathetic nervous system mode, where it's all of the panic and the heart racing, the mind's racing, that's hyperventilation mode. and Or I could swing into the dissociation parasympathetic mode where my body's shutting down, I'm not really moving. I'm just staring into space, waiting for it to be over. Um, And there are different things you can do, um, depending on which state you're in. But first, Sam, what are you like when you're triggered in church?
2: I identify a lot with what both of you said, especially about panic, because I feel like they're, yeah, the heart racing and having difficulty focusing. Sometimes it's hard to hear what else the person is saying, which can make things worse, especially Mm -hmm. if they qualify what they said and I miss it, but, um, definitely my mind racing and sometimes feeling like I'm about to just have, like, a big emotional breakdown in the middle of a congregation, which is (laughs) not what I want to do. Yeah. Like, the lump in my throat, just wanting to cry, tearing up, and then trying to, like, shut that down in a panic, and, yeah, I think that's...
0: Yeah, I as we're talking about it, I'm feeling it in my body right now. Oh, I don't know about you guys. I can
1: feel a little bit of a huh. Yeah. yeah.
0: But my legs just went numb, which is also one that happens where they feel like jelly or jello. Like if I stand up, I'll collapse. So that's happening to me right now. Just like remembering the experience. Cause I felt that way this past Sunday. And it's interesting. Cause I noticed that I started, um, I almost did the still face experiment on my pastor. Like I looked out the window and just showed my cheek to him and I refused to look at him. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and I would I think that's more of a freeze response. So both can definitely happen. Yeah. Or freeze uh, would be the parasympathetic dissociation. Right, right. Um and so anyway, as we're talking about it, I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. I'm having like um a body memory mm-hmm. of being there. So
1: Yeah. No, sometimes my um some of my arms fingers will hurt Mm -hmm. and it's kind of weird and I'll either if it's a bad shame attack yeah I can't look at the person Mm -hmm. or if I feel like I'm in like sometimes I might regress feel more like a child state and Mm -hmm. then it's like I'm looking at them like pleading you know yes and then you know there's a part of me that's like don't do that like ew gross Mm -hmm. like don't please don't have them pick on a pick up on that Mm -hmm. and then you know you just then you spiral and you're like wow what do I do now Mm -hmm. stuck
2: yeah I don't know if either of you guys experience this but sometimes I end up feeling very angry in the moment where it's like part of me kind of wants to go and shout at everybody like how yes. are you all listening to this and yes. it's fine Absolutely. what are you doing why are you saying this and then and then there's this other part of me that's kind of like I don't belong here mm-hmm. I, I don't fit in there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. And and then it goes yeah into the shame spiral
0: Wow, yeah, because then you can kind of get into like, well, who are you to say that that's wrong? When, yes. like, he's obviously been appointed by God, so God trusts him to say right. that with this congregation. And, right. Oh, man.
1: <laughs> a thousand percent. And it's amazing how common, like, just the fact that all three of us feel that way is amazing because that's exactly how it's like. I will literally picture scenes in my mind. Sometimes I get a little bit of, like, you know, savior complex of, like, I'm going to stand up. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> going to shout this into the void and have everyone hear how this is wrong, <laughs> you know? And then I'm like, yeah, and if I do that, I will I will never come back here because I will be too ashamed of myself. Um, or I will... I will get that. I don't belong. Like, everyone here is different, and I just can't hear this right. And then, then yeah, eventually you come around to the whole, like, what do I know? You yeah. know? Like, <laughs> how dare I have
2: the audacity to think that I, Am know... I a narcissist? Yes. <laughs> then yeah.
0: Then it goes back.
2: <laughs> it's It's such a spiral.
0: Yeah. I feel like each time I talk to you guys and I explain it, like, we all just, like, smile with this, like, knowing that I mm-hmm. feel like my other friends don't get, which they listen to, which is fine, but it's just really refreshing sometimes to be like you know exactly the cycle and it's just funny because almost everything we say i think we all connect with it yeah yeah um so if you're fighting yourself like no that's not normal
1: (laughs) 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 you know yeah this is a this is a real thing and i think all of us can vouch for the fact that there are clients some of our clients have said some of the same stuff too. Yeah. And what's the common factor? They usually have a narcissist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of our, our Acon adult children and narcissist people, they they really get this. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I've said something and one of my clients was like, That really freaked me out. Like it feels like you jumped into my body and experienced it to be able to explain it that well to me. hmm and she didn't pick up on, well, speaking, well girl, it's because, you know, whatever, which is good. But I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's just like this knowing that you just don't get with people who just haven't experienced it. Yeah. yeah.
2: Which can make it really hard to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. And because when you're trying to explain it to people who haven't been through it, they're like, well, why don't you just do this? Or why don't you just not think that? Or why? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it doesn't make sense to them or they try to give you advice. Like, you need spe-
0: to like repent yes. for your oh. thoughts oh, that's about my Christianity, <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah,
2: which that in itself is triggering. It's like, they just put that on the pile. No,
1: my favorite is God loves you. I'm like, yeah, that just fixes everything. You saying that to me, mm-hmm. solved. Yeah. Like yeah. didn't know that before. Like, I just, yeah. it's like, I, I get it that that's a powerful thing, but the words itself, and this is a big thing that I do want to say on, on coping long term. The words itself do not solve the problem because trauma is also in the body. And one of the best ways to heal from that is a sense of safety, experienced safety, over time, mm-hmm. And so there's no short, quick fix. These coping skills that we're talking about aren't going to solve your problems. They're going to help you manage them so that you can do that long-term work without suffering in your day-to-day. So please don't hear these coping skills as like, I'm supposed to breathe and that fixes everything. No, coping skills are like band-aids, but you need surgery and we, you know, you just have to live every day in order to do that work.
0: Yeah, I kind of like comparing it to like a temper tantrum because like when with a kid, it's like when they're just like getting your attention, like, "Hey, look over here. This is what's going on." You want to address that, right? And so that's kind of like with anxiety. But then when they go into a meltdown tantrum, you're not you're not gonna sit there being like, "And what did you say? <laughs> is going on?" Like, right? You're like helping them calm their bodies down with the tantrum, and then you can go in and pay attention. So it's mm-hmm. kind of similar to that Absolutely. of like which one you do at that time. Because I think that's a question I get a lot. is like, well, how do I know which coping skills helpful Mm -hmm. um because some coping skills are your outside environment and some are like looking internal and you want to do that at different times yes um so the internal ones would be like not the temper tantrum and the external ones would be like the temper tantrum this
1: might be a good place to talk about the window of tolerance Mm -hmm. oh yeah um and also like Earlier, I was saying sympathetic, parasympathetic system, and all we're talking about is the two extremes of when your body is either in a hyper-aroused or hypo-aroused state. You're either panicking or dissociating, and your window of tolerance is this place where you can feel pain without going to those extremes. It's a place where you can feel pain and, and process it safely, um, and there are different things you can do depending on which state you're in. Now, here's the tricky thing. A lot of um, adult children and narcissists were not taught how to read their body. Mm -hmm. So if you can't read your body, you're not going to know where you are. (laughs) Um, We'll get to some of that. But if you happen to be a person who is in tune with your body or learning how to be in tune, if you're in a hyper-aroused state, which means heart racing, some temperature increase, panic, breathing hard, what you want to do is called opposite action you're so in your body, you kind of want to get into your head, and you want to be able to calm the body. So you're doing things like breathing deeply, because that's going to calm your heart, rate right, and help it come back down. What you want to do is do things like um, get some energy out, like either running, jumping jacks, that can help it get out of your body or distracting with something like sudoku, a video, something that puts your brain back online. Because what happens in either of these extremes is your thinking brain kind of just goes offline. That's why you're not going to be able to think of like, oh, what are all my positive affirmations? When your body is in such a heightened state, it just goes offline because your body's in survival mode it doesn't need that part of your brain when it's trying to fight its way through something so you want to try and get that part of your brain back online by activating it that way on the flip side if you're in a hypo aroused state the same phrase opposite action applies you want to get back into your body you're out of your body you're you're not in touch with it so we do what's called grounding that's where you're trying to connect to maybe how you feel in the chair. Maybe you're looking around and trying to describe what you see. You might grab for temperature items, holding ice or sipping tea, something that wakes the body up. And the reason why counselors are so obnoxious about breathing is because it happens to be that one coping skill that can help you in either state where you're hypo aroused or hyper aroused. It calms the heart rate and it also gets you back in your body. And that's why we're always talking about breathe even though it can be used in a very invalidating way yeah what would you guys add to that
2: i i guess what i would add is um yeah when you're when your brain is kind of going offline in the sense that like your frontal lobe so like what you refer to as the thinking brain the Mm -hmm. part that deals with like logic and analyzing and problem solving when that goes offline and you're in survival mode your brain gets so focused on surviving and looking for threats that when you're, when you're breathing, you're kind of sending a signal back to your brain saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, I know you're telling me there's a threat right now, but I'm going to send you this signal saying, no, actually it's safe. So you can hold off on all the survival stuff right now. I've got this. And so when you're sending that signal back to your brain, it starts to calm down a little bit. And then you're able to think, a little bit more clear because your frontal lobes come back online
1: nice yeah sometimes i'll have people um you can teach your body so like if you're trying to if you notice that you're caving in or you're holding your arms or you're getting really tight opposite action to tell your body that it's safe is the breathing then maybe opening up you know uncrossing your legs stretching getting up walking around will also let your body know no you don't have to hide from something right now trying to help it regulate like that
0: Yeah, so I think common words you hear associated with uh, the parasympathetic and sympathetic and, like, window of tolerance is dysregulation and regulation. And so if you think about it, dysregulation is when you're in either the sympathetic, like, fight-flight or the parasympathetic freeze experiencing feelings. And so you might see somebody who is experiencing anger in a dysregulated way, which is probably like a Karen you would (laughs) run into (laughs) at the store. Um, And then you have people who are, they're still angry, but it's regulated. And so they're within that window of tolerance. And so coping skills are helping you get regulated or back into your window of tolerance. So we call that co-regulation and, or self-regulation. And what people often miss about self-regulation is that it's an internalized experience of co-regulation and co-regulation is what your parent would do with you. So you're upset and your parent, um, is the regulated adult and models how to help you regulate. So this could be holding you, um, getting you like a, cold drink or a hot drink, any of those things that bring comfort, um, to your system. So if your parent was unable to do that, which oftentimes, if you, oftentimes, if you grew up with someone with a personality disorder, they are unable to do that then you have no experience to go off of to self-regulate. So the expectation that you should be able to just self-regulate or know how to help your nervous system is not fair when you didn't have those experiences. And I think that's where it can be really confusing on like, what do you do?
1: Yes. It's like, you don't have the tools in your tool belt. I remember someone said like, just give your inner child a plant and you'll feel better. It worked for me. I did it. and like, did not work at all. <laughs> in fact, I, I just got angry because when I heard Um, Try this coping skill All I heard was You're by yourself Right You know You're alone It's confirmed And you need to take care of it And I also didn't know What the heck to do And it just didn't work You know But uh, now I hope all of you Hearing what Presley just said It's like Yeah How could you use something That was never given to you You have to learn How to do all this stuff And also in the context of a safe relationship, because that's, that's what will help you get over the, well, I just feel alone, taking care of myself piece of things. It doesn't really land unless you have someone that can help model that with you. And your friends can do that. Family can do that. Therapists are trained to do that. But I think this also gets into some of why other people may not understand what we go through. And Presley, you were saying something uh, during break about... Uh, why that might be. And you was mentioned earlier in the podcast about how some of your friends don't understand this. And I mean, we all go through triggers. Everyone experiences this at some in some form or another, but people with trauma might have it in a different degree um, or more often. So can you talk about what's going on?
0: Yeah. Um, so this has to do with the neurons in your brain. But before I get into it, I just want to say, like, some people have heard this and responded with well, I feel like my brain's broken or it confirms that something's wrong with me or I'm damaged. And I just want to say like, the only reason your brain's even able to do this in the first place is because it's so resilient and, um, not like it can be manipulated, but what's that word where you can you can change the neurons or like the neuro oh, like neuroplasticity kind neuroplasticity. Kind of so this all can change, right? So you can reshape your neurons, but there is a reality that when you grew up in chronic state of stress, which we did, um, or if you grew up with some, with a parent with a personality dif- disorder or was neglectful, you also did, then your neurons do shape differently for survival. And then you can always, change this. So I just want to put that disclaimer out. But an example is when you've had chronic stress, your options for what's happening to you or around you are slimmer. So somebody who did not grow up in chronic stress, their neuron branches off to different um, ways of thinking. So let's say I'm on a walk and I hear the crunch of probably a tree branch or something. Um, someone who did not grow up in chronic stress, their options are going to be, it was a dog, it was a bunny, someone walked, it was a breeze in the tree and a branch fell, or someone's following me, hiding me in the bushes, right? But they have a lot more options of like what it probably is. Someone who grew up with chronic stress, they're going to have like three options and most of them are going to be that something bad's happening. So someone's hiding in a bush watching me. Somebody is walking behind me and they're about to take me. Um, or there could be an aggressive dog. Right. So like those are kind of your options. Um, and so sometimes when I'll say these things of like, Oh, I feel like there's a dead body floating in the lake next to us, or if a dog's sniffing the ground and I'm like, Oh, I wonder if someone's buried here, sometimes my friends will be like, Why does your brain go there? Like that's not even a thought that I had. Um, which goes back to that message of like, something's wrong with me. I'm crazy type of thing. But in reality, it's just, that's how your neurons were shaped for survival. And up until recently, I've been working for a long time on this. I was able to go on a walk and I heard a noise. And my first thought was it's a bunny, but let me just turn around and make sure that I'm safe in my environment. But I was very regulated. And then I was, and it was a bunny. And I kind of laughed at myself and I kept walking. And then I texted the therapist (laughs) because I was so happy. So, that's also a part of what's going on along with the dysregulated nervous system. Um, and your window of tolerance can actually be really small and shrink, and then it can widen. So, the two things in therapy that we're trying to do is rewire rewire the neural neural pathways and also widen the window of tolerance and then model that um, regulation and comfort. Um,
1: oh, I love that so. explanation so much. <laughs> um, and... I think, like, that's why the term complex PTSD comes up, which, for those of you who don't know, it's not in the DSM yet, but it is in the International Classification of Diseases, complex PTSD, meaning trauma experiences that have happened over time, usually in childhood, that causes the brain to shape in different ways, and the way I like to explain this is... Um, With PTSD, a lot of people will think of soldiers or like single incident trauma, which meant like your house burnt down or or something happened to you, there was an assault. In those cases, what a therapist is doing with you is they're helping get your brain back on track to how it used to function because you're stuck in like a fight or flight mode. With complex PTSD, there is no back to any track there. You have to build a track. That takes a lot longer. So it's it's not that you're broken, your body did what it had to do to survive, and we need to teach it how to thrive now that the threat is over. And so my favorite phrase to say is it's not that you are being abnormal and responding abnormally, you're responding normally to something abnormal that happened to you. And I think the cool thing about what Presley is saying about neurons and neuroplasticity is you can learn to do all of that and build all of that and kind of turn out as a
0: very regulated, well-adjusted person. Yeah. It just takes a lot of time. Yeah. And healing work.
2: I like what both of you are saying as far as survival. Cause yeah, we're not, we're not saying that use these coping skills when you're in a dangerous situation so that you feel fine in a dangerous situation and get attacked and get attacked (laughs) yeah that's your your body and your brain are having these responses for a reason the problem is when when you're a kid and you're living in a very chaotic household or there's just like a lot of like you said like a person a parent with a personality disorder there's a lot of dysregulation you you get all of these responses like you may get into fight or flight or you may dissociate, but there's not really anything you can do with those responses those those are survival responses are trying to get you out of the situation or they're trying to help you fight through the situation but when you're a little kid you can't just run away from home go get a job at six years old and support yourself you're stuck so even though those responses like maybe like maybe like shutting down is the only way you can survive or maybe holding on to the anxiety is the only way you can survive so so when you're having to live in a dangerous or chaotic or confusing situation constantly and your body's constantly in fight or flight or dissociating then what happens over time is you learn how to shut everything down and not pay attention to those responses or read those alarms anymore Because you can't leave the situation. So, and that's part of survival too. You don't tune into your body anymore because you can't really do anything with those responses. So, that's one of the reasons that, and, you know, learning how to mirror the parent and focusing on the parent, it's easy for acons to grow up not really paying attention to their bodies at all.
1: That's fabulous. So, I guess before, um, if we could even get to practicing some of these coping skills and have them work, we would have to read our bodies. So how did you guys learn to get in touch with your body? What advice would you give to people to start
0: that journey? What helped me early on was practicing mindfulness and then yoga. And so I used to use an app, Simple Habit or Headspace. I interchanged those and they have kind of mindfulness activities on there and some are like external and some are internal and then it kind of goes from like one minute up to 30 minutes and so I remember not even being able to complete a one minute and now I can do up to 30 minutes um and then yoga really helped me I noticed that like I could read my body cues for like 20 minutes after the class but then it would go away Hmm. um so I wouldn't be that connected I would get connected middle of class and then i'd be connected for a little bit after and then it would stop again and and now i don't even need to do yoga to get connected. So um but i would say like being in therapy is what helped me the most, but those two things were really helpful sources when i was first starting out.
1: Yeah, i think um i started with trying to just get in touch with one thing at a time. Like if you're a person who um you can't really recognize when you have to go to the bathroom until it's like really bad or maybe that you've been hungry for a long time those are some cues that you're not in touch with your body and so i tried to pick one thing like so i started getting in touch with this idea because i I used to sing and i had a vocal coach that would always tell me that i'm keeping my my abs like locked that i'm keeping tension in my stomach which if you know about singing if you want to expand and get a good breath that's not a good thing you don't want to be locked there And so I knew it was probably some of the stress. So I started focusing on trying to actively just release my stomach. And I'd notice anytime I checked in, I'd try and check in at least once or twice a day. And sometimes you have to put alarms on your phone because, like, if you don't check in, you don't check in, you know? Um, And I would check in and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm holding my abs for like no reason. And so over time, I started learning to release them and release them. And then once I got that down, I looked for tension in other places in my body and the way you do this and the way I encourage clients to do this is once a day, even if again you have to set an alarm, go starting at your feet, go working all the way to your head and ask each part of your body, if this part of my body could speak, what would it say? And it could be something abstract. It could be like amazing, like, I'm here to tell you that your father is a perpetrator. Like that'd be amazing. But sometimes it's things like, I'm tingling and I need you to get up and move me around. Or please uncross your legs. I don't enjoy this position. Or I need to go to the bathroom. And you ask each part of your body, what what do you need from me? What are you trying to say? And doing that, you know, helped me figure out which thing to pick next. So I'm like, oh, I carry tension in my shoulders. I think I keep my shoulders up high, now I'm going to try and focus on that and learn how to lower them. So that's an incremental way to kind of help yourself read your body.
2: One of the things that I really like practicing is progressive muscle relaxation, and there's, they have like some free guided progressive muscle relaxation stuff you can listen to on like YouTube, probably on Spotify too, I imagine. But there's, like they'll they'll guide you through like okay tense tense the muscles in your hands like ball your hands into fists for a moment and then hold it there and then relax totally relax your hands and they'll they'll have you do that with every muscle group in your body and the more you practice that over time the more you start to get like you can tell the difference between when you're tense and when you're relaxed and after practicing that repeatedly over weeks i started realizing like oh i'm tensing muscles that i didn't realize i was tensing before and then when i would tell my body to relax it would actually relax because it was learning what relaxation felt like just by practicing constantly tensing and relaxing mm-hmm. and then but i know some people don't really like progressive muscle relaxation uh-huh. and for those like i think my husband he does not He's okay with progressive muscle relaxation, but he likes... There's another one called autogenic training, and there's a lady named Dr. Jennifer Jennifer Sweeten, and she has on her website some free tools, including um, some guided autogenic training, which you don't actually have to do anything with your body, so if that's triggering for you, then autogenic training may be the best way to go, so you can... It's just, like, certain things that you tell your body or you say to your body that helps you get more in touch with what you're feeling. And she does a bit of breath work, too.
1: Yeah, uh, Dr. Jennifer Sweeten is a neuroscientist, and um, she kind of talks about how neuroscientists have discovered you can actually change your body's temperature by just a little bit. And you can do that through some imagery work and, and just kind of thinking about it. And she has some guided meditations on how to send certain temperatures to different parts of your body, which, you know, if, if a certain part of your body is warm, that helps, you know, the blood flow, it helps with relaxation, so that can really help regulate you too.
0: That's interesting. I hadn't heard of that yet. So going back to being
1: triggered in church and coping skills, I think what we're saying
0: is there are certain
1: ways you can read your body um, that can guide you on how to regulate but if you can't read your body at all, that's not very useful to you. So yeah. reading your body is a good place to start. So then going to other coping skills. And again, I'm, I just want to remind people, coping skills are to help you manage. They're not about solving your problems. There are other things you can do in therapy, the deeper work for that. This is just about how to manage your day-to-day life if you're triggered, like in church. What are some of your other favorite coping skills that you like to use?
2: One coping skill that another one that can kind of help is giving yourself time and space to feel what you feel even if that means disconnecting from listening to the sermon for a while or whatever's going on in church at the time um just being able to tune into what you're feeling and allowing that to be there and accepting that feeling or those feelings whatever's coming up cuz i think one of the things that can sometimes feel insulting at least to me when it comes to even using coping skills is it feels like an attempt to shut down what i'm feeling and that reminds me too much of what it was like growing up where it was like mm-hmm. okay i'm constantly having to shut down my emotions or fix myself or regulate for the benefit of someone else in my family who would get dysregulated if i felt anything or if i had any problem um I don't know if either of you yes. identify or if there's other stuff that makes
1: yeah, coping I, difficult. I like to tell um, my clients that you can use coping skills for good or you can use coping skills for evil. Coping skills for evil means you use them to avoid your emotions. That's not how they should be used. You can do a lot of great healthy coping skills just like maladaptive coping skills to avoid yourself. Um, coping skills for good is... You only use them if you are dysregulated outside of your window of tolerance. Your window of tolerance is something you want to stretch, which means we have to get used to sitting with ourselves in our emotion and letting ourselves feel. And Sam, once you, you told me one time how you explain three steps to emotion regulation to me, and I thought that was a great application of coping skills. I was wondering if you'd say something about that.
2: Sure. So the the three steps to regulating your emotions are first to... The first step is to identify those emotions and kind of figure out, like, where they came from. And then the second step is to sit in that emotion for a while, to breathe into it, pay attention to how it feels in your body, accept it, allow it to be there. And then the last coping skill, or the last step for emotion regulation is to do whatever you need to do to soothe that emotion and to recharge from the time you've spent feeling it. The problem is that a lot of times we tend to skip one of those or multiple of those steps and that's pretty common in our culture and society in general is people will skip steps. So either we will identify the emotion and skip step number two, we will just not sit in it, And we'll jump to the third step and try to fix the emotion so it doesn't actually get processed or we what we'll do is we'll identify the emotion and we'll sit in it 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 and we'll we'll feel worse and worse and worse and spiral because there's no time to recharge and there's no soothing happening
1: yeah that's awesome i think coping skills are they're a tough topic because like i said earlier They can, when people bring them up, or like if my therapist brings it up, it feels like they're saying you need to go through this alone. Or like you were saying, like, don't have emotion, you can't have emotion, which is so triggering. Mm -hmm. So I sometimes really hate coping skills. I don't know if you guys feel the same.
0: Yeah, Sam, what you were saying reminded me of like the idea of titrating a feeling, which means like tolerating that emotion for a short period of time and then getting out of it and then going back and choosing to feel it again getting out of it um, and kind of like the back and forth and like maybe it's five seconds one time and ten seconds another and so the back and forth can widen your tolerance for that feeling um, and so yeah, what you're saying about like not sitting in it and then it's kind of reminded me of a book um, kind of like good mother messages or like what good mothers help you as, do as a child and one of it is like Sitting and comforting the emotion, and then almost like the distraction, or like now, let's get up and go do this thing, like giving you something to move. Um, and so, whenever you were talking about like sitting in it, I was like, Oh, yeah, like that's probably also the lack of modeling. Mm-hmm. Um, the good mother messages I don't know exactly what it was called, but it was a book that I was reading. That no, sounds like awesome. A good yeah, so
1: for before we start wrapping up here and going into uh, a coping skill that we'll take you all through, um, just know there are a ton of coping skills out there. There are so many you can find on Google. I mean, we even off the air, we were talking about things like making a crisis box, worry stones, fidget toys, something you can carry with you for grounding. I mean, if you just put grounding skills into Google, you're going to come up with a lot. There are just so many But just as a reminder this is about when you're triggered in the moment and you need to get back to your window of tolerance and when you're back to your window of tolerance it's time to feel and it's time to validate and it's time to nurture yourself and find some comfort or seek safety with people who can help you do that and shameless plug for therapy that's what a therapist is there to do In some ways, the relationship is the most important part of therapy because that safe relationship is helping you learn how to care for yourself and to take the skills that the therapist is giving you and the kindness and the care they're showing you and internalize it the way that you should have with a safe parent. So if this feels like it's hard to do for yourself, it's usually that cry of, I don't have the tolls I don't really care about myself because no one cared about me and I don't really have them modeled for me. Over time with a safe enough person, you will be able to internalize their care to a point where you can use it without them
0: having to be there. Mm. And that takes time. Yeah, which is why I also think it's important to be picky up front and know that like Mm -hmm. the person that you're choosing as your therapist is your choice and like Mm -hmm. you get to decide who you want to see Um, because the relationship is going to go through a lot of ups and downs, so it's that person that you know is like safe regardless of what's coming up for you and so I think being picky on the front end, even though it's kind of exhausting and a lot of work is really important. Yeah,
1: and if you've gone through a couple therapists if you're someone who's tried it and it was terrible there are so many different types of therapists and therapeutic orientations I would encourage you to keep trying Um, but also, if you have a terrible experience, like, those happen, okay? Like, it's it's not all you. Like, those happen. Um, and it can be hard to find a good therapist. So um, having a support system is also just as good and can help you out a lot.
2: One more disclaimer, because we love the disclaimers, <laughs> is um, when it comes to coping skills in church and dealing with triggers in church, I think there's there are also different levels of triggers and so what we're talking about can probably help for like the more mild triggers but if you're in a church where you are getting very severe triggers kind of like one right after the other it's very common where you're getting completely dysregulated that may be a sign that it's not the best church for you and at that point like coping with your triggers may not be possible in that place and so that's okay that's not your fault and it's okay to be a little picky about where you go to church too and to try to find a place that feels safe enough where you can start um building up a sense of safety with coping skills and working through triggers in church not every church is equal in that sense yes um I,
1: from the Orthodox side of things, um, talking to my priest about this, uh, he said that sometimes people really do need to take a step back and work on themselves and experience a little bit at a time in order to acclimate and, and work on it. And that, that does not mean that you are somehow this heathen person who's ignoring God, or you can only heal within the context of these four walls. Like, that's not true you know, God is everywhere present. And so is his church, his invisible church. And yes, we want to encourage people to go to church, but we all have been hurt by churches. Um, sometimes it was us. Sometimes it was them. And um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of gray here. There's no black and white about how often you need to be in church for this or that or whatever reason. I think we all agree it's important. But if you it's that triggering for you. You're not going to hear the good stuff being said anyway. And so it's totally okay to go work on that and keep trying little by little. So for our wrap-up activity, we are going to take you through um, an example of what autogenic training is that we talked about in the podcast. Um, This should not be done while you are driving. You need to be alert while you are driving. Um, But any other place that you are, um, just find a place where you are comfortable and maybe laying down, sitting just in a comfortable position. I'm not going to take you through the really thorough version. I just want to give you an idea of what what this is like so you can try it. So just get into a comfortable position. Take a deep breath. Maybe close your eyes. I'm gonna say a series of phrases and I'd like you to repeat each one quietly in your mind, slowly and rhythmically. I am calm and relaxed. My right arm is heavy. My right arm is heavy. My right arm is warm. My right arm is warm. You can imagine sending maybe a warm color down through your arm. And all through this exercise, you can imagine that color going to these places. my left arm is heavy my left arm is heavy my left arm is warm my left arm is warm My legs are getting heavy My legs are getting heavy My legs are getting warm. My legs are getting warm. I'm sending that color to my arms and to my legs. Both my arms and my legs are getting heavy and warm. My feet are getting heavy. My feet are getting heavy. My feet are getting warm. My feet are getting warm. I'm sending that warm color to my arms, my legs, and my feet. And I am calm and relaxed. My forehead is getting cool. My forehead is getting cool. My forehead is feeling light. My forehead is feeling light. I'm sending a cool color to my forehead. My arms, my legs, my feet feel warm and heavy. My forehead feels cool and light. I'm calm and relaxed. So take a deep breath. And if that activity was relaxing or helpful for you. You can find a more thorough version of this that takes you through all the body parts online. You can visit Dr. Jennifer Sweeten's website. You can put it into YouTube. They have some of it. You can also do this just for yourself, focusing on heaviness and warmth in every part of your body except your forehead, which will be cool and light.